Well, it finally happened. We knew it was only a matter of time, and I'm actually surprised that it took this long. I found out a couple days ago that I have COVID. We've had a plan in place for a long time about me giving a message from home if it was too late to schedule another preacher. We just never had to use it until now. I have to say, the worst part of this is definitely the pounding headache, and it has not been a fun ride at all, but the headache has been just unbelievable. So if I say anything that doesn't make sense today, we can just blame it on that, okay? Hey, before I get started, though, I just want to answer a question I've heard about the Rooted Experience starting next week, and that is, do you have to be part of a group to go through Rooted? And the answer is no, not at all. Your group can go through it together, but Rooted is great for someone who's not in a group to get connected to other people while growing spiritually. Just sign up at efree.org slash Rooted. In fact, if you're new to First Free and you want to get to know people, Rooted is going to be the best place to do that. We really want Rooted to become our launch pad for just about everything we do. Want to explore what it means to be a Christian? Rooted. New to the church and want to get connected with people? Rooted. Looking to join a small group? Start with Rooted. Want to serve but don't know where to begin? Rooted. Want to grow in your faith? Rooted. Want to be a leader in the church? Have you gone through Rooted yet? And not that everything has to start with Rooted, but it will be our best on-ramp for so many things and give a great first step for most people. So hopefully all of you can go through Rooted at some point this year. And with that said, let's get into the message for this week in 1 Timothy. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Next week, we're going to start a new series called Back to the Basics, and it's going to align with the Rooted Experience. But today, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 21, to wrap up this amazing letter from Paul to Timothy. Here's what Paul wrote to his young protege about leading a church. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that as we look at 1 Timothy today and wrap up this series, what, what an incredible series it has been, Lord. I've learned so much from it. Um, and I pray, God, that you would help us to just get some more nuggets of wisdom today from your word. Help us to understand it in a fresh way. Help us to hear what you spoke through your Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the pastor of this church in Ephesus. And help us to translate that to our world today because the, the biblical principles there are timeless, even though this was written at a specific place in a specific time to a specific person. God, we know there are things that we can learn from this, some great truths here. So please help our hearts and our minds to be open and receptive to it, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me today, even though it's unusual circumstances, and just work to help us all grow closer to you and, and learn how you want us to live in this world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I decided to call this message a theology 
of enjoyment. Theology is the study of God, and today we're going to look at how God views our enjoyment. Paul mentions it in verse 17. But first, one of my favorite comedians is Ken Davis. And my favorite joke from Ken is about how we perceive God. Take a look. God is the author of joy. A lot of us grew up believing that if it was fun, it was wrong. Right? Any of you ever come from that? My whole picture of God was that his job was to stand up in heaven somewhere and he would go, Behold! No, no, I knew he stood like that. I'd seen them pictures. Ken Davis have his fun. No. I think that's a lot of people's perception of God. Like he's the fun police in the sky who wants to make sure you do the right things, don't do the wrong things, and makes you feel miserable if you don't get it right. Many people think the Bible is there to keep you in line and spoil your fun. And, and who would want to bind themselves to a book full of rules like that? Some people think God's ideal for us is to not have cool things or nice things. I've known Christians who look down on people if they're wealthy and mock them if they buy something nice. And we might look at the story of the young rich man who Jesus told to sell everything he has and think, well, that must be what God really wants for us to give up all our worldly goods and live like monks. I mean, I'm not going to do that, of course, but isn't that the really spiritual thing to do? Should I feel guilty for having as much as I do? Should I give it all away if I want to be really spiritual? What if I told you that mindset is completely unbiblical? All of it. The idea that God doesn't want you to have wealth and resources, unbiblical. The idea that God doesn't want you to have fun or enjoy life, unbiblical. The idea that you're supposed to give away everything you have, also unbiblical. Here's the biblical truth. God wants you to enjoy the life he's given you, including the resources he has given you. He really does. After all, he's kind of the one who created joy. The Christian life can be a very joyous life and full of fun. I've known some Christians who always seem upset about something, always critical and complaining about one thing or another. And here's a test that you can do for yourself to see if you're this kind of person. When you talk to people, what percentage of your conversation is focused on something negative and what percentage is positive? It's really easy for people to become proficient at complaining. And Christians are people. So the reputation for Christians is sometimes that they're always upset about something, angry, fighting against something they don't like. And that's not the biblical model for God's people. Let me show you a few examples. There's a story in the Old Testament about two guys named Ezra and Nehemiah. These two men are Israelites who've been exported to other countries and then allowed to return to Jerusalem to help build the city. Nehemiah goes through this incredible process of rebuilding the city walls, even though there's a lot of opposition. And after the walls are completed, Ezra brings out some scrolls of Old Testament books and reads them and explains them to the people. And not just Ezra. There were actually 13 other Levite men who also preached that day. So you could say Ezra had a preaching team to teach the people just like we have a preaching team at First Free. After the preaching time, the people must have been very sad because they failed to follow God's instructions in the past. And then we read this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor 
Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites, who were interpreting for the people, said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites too quieted the people, telling them, hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. Here's what I get from this passage. Understanding the word of God may rightly bring sorrow if we've been disobedient, but it should ultimately lead to joy. We may need to repent for our sin and confess it to God. We may need a good kick in the pants to stop doing whatever is wrong and reorient ourselves to what God says is good. But if we listen to that and get back on the right track, the result is a celebration. And what does that celebration look like? Nehemiah and the Levites say, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Share with anyone who has less than you. Don't be sad. Have great joy because of the strength of God and because of learning and understanding his word. See, God's design wasn't for his people to be somber, critical people who always look like they just sucked on a lemon. The God of joy wants his people to enjoy the life he's blessed them with. And sometimes that means a feast and celebration. Let me give you another example. And then we'll get back to 1 Timothy. Here's what Solomon said. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, after he spent a long time studying life and happiness, here's what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, Even so, I have noticed one thing, at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. And just a little further, he says in Ecclesiastes 8, but even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never go long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they are wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they are good. This is so meaningless. So what's his conclusion to all of this? Where Where is he going here? So I recommend having fun, Solomon says, because there is nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way, they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. What's he saying here? It's a good thing to enjoy good food and good drinks and to have wealth that is a blessing from God and good health to enjoy it. And we should not see those things as reasons for guilt or shame, but as reasons to be thankful to God and enjoy these as gifts from him. And what does Solomon recommend after all of his research? He says, I recommend having fun. Enjoy life even though there will be hard work that God gives as well. God's design for his people is not to be sour, but happy. Not critical, but joyful. And that's not to say 
There aren't seasons for sadness and mourning. Solomon talks about that too. We, we all have those. And there's a time and a place for that. But the overall theme of life for a follower of God is one of happiness and joy. And who has more reason to be joyful than us with everything God has done for us? I mean, Jesus, when he was here, he said in John 10, 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. That's what Jesus wants for you, both in this life and in heaven. So knowing this, let's go back to 1 Timothy 6 now. And I want to address a common misunderstanding about wealth and then give some advice for wealthy people. First, let's look at verse 17 again. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, who is Paul talking about when he says those who are rich? I have to imagine that a lot of people listening to this right now are thinking, well, that's not me. I mean, I'm not wealthy. I'm not rich. So let me ask you, do you have more money than you technically need to survive? If so, you're rich. There are 7 billion people on this planet. If you make $20,000 per year, you're richer than over 90% of the population of the world. If you make $45,000 a year, you're richer than 98% of the world. And if you make $58,000 per year, you're literally in the 1%. You're richer than 99% of the people in the world. If you have a cell phone, if you have internet, if you have running water, if you have a flush toilet, if you have a car, if you have anything at all invested, you're rich. If you can afford to go to a restaurant where the price per person is more than $5, you're rich. For probably everyone listening to this, you have more than you technically need to survive. And probably much more. Our perspective of poverty and wealth in this country is so skewed. Now, Ephesus was a fairly wealthy city. Not everyone was wealthy, of course, but it was a very large, prosperous city with a lot of wealthy people. And it's easy to think when you're wealthy that you never have enough. You're always wanting more. All you want is to get to the next level. And as soon as you get there, then you'll have arrived, right? Then you'll be wealthy. But once you get there, what happens? You start to see things people at that level have that you don't have. So now the level that used to be good enough is the low bar and you just want more. And you don't feel wealthy because you're comparing yourself to even wealthier people. That's why Paul talks about discontentment earlier in this chapter. It's it's not wrong to be ambitious. It's wrong to make that the number one priority in your life. So understand that compared to the rest of humanity, you probably qualify as rich. We need to know what are Paul's instructions For those of us who have more than we need. Here's what he says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Don't be proud of what you have. Remember, it's all on loan from God. He owns everything. He made it. And don't trust in your money either. Your trust should be in God. And I love this where he says, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Did you catch that? He richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul is telling you that God wants you to enjoy life. Yes, 
You. Even you. He, he really wants you to enjoy life. Even if it may not seem like it at times. You're a child of the King. The reason God blesses you with things is because He wants you to enjoy the life He's created for you. Of course, we have to recognize that different people can handle different things and, and have different needs. And, and sometimes God also gives us challenges that are a heavy burden. But even in the middle of that, we can have joy. You know, some of the most joyful people have very little money. Some of the happiest and most peaceful people I've ever met have cancer and don't know how long they have left to live. So this does not mean having lots of stuff will make you joyful, so God's going to give you lots of stuff. That's called prosperity theology, and it's not biblical. What this does mean is that whatever God has given to you is intended for your enjoyment. God blesses you so that you can enjoy the life he's given you. And actually enjoying life is an act of worship to God when done with a heart of thankfulness. When we're critical and sour, in a way, what we're saying to God is, God, man, this life you've given me, it's, it's terrible. It's not enough for me. I deserve better. But enjoying life and enjoying what he's given to us is an act of worship and thankfulness to God. But God also blesses you so you can be a blessing to others. Look at the next verse, verse 18. Paul says, tell them to use their money to do good. We're going to see a few things here, so, so keep track of these. That's the first one. They should be rich in good works. That's the second one. And generous to those in need. That's number three. And then always being ready to share with others. Notice a couple of things here. First, Paul doesn't say it's a sin to be wealthy. By the world's standards, probably all of us watching this could be considered wealthy. And Paul doesn't say that those with wealth should give it all away, so they're just as poor as anyone else. But there is a responsibility for those who have more than they need. And Paul gives us four things we should do. First, do good with your money. Use your money to do good, Paul says. This could mean a lot of different things, and it's personal to you. Maybe you can purchase something for a ministry with a need, like Thrive or Oasis International. Maybe you specifically start or invest in a business designed to help people who need a second chance. Maybe you look for Christian companies to invest in. Um, it might take some thought and research, but how can you use your money to do good? That's number one. Number two, don't just give, serve in other ways too. Paul says they should be rich in good works. It's pretty common in churches, especially in affluent areas, for people to think that giving money is their act of service, and it, it certainly is important. But Paul says the wealthy should also be rich in good works, not just giving money, but getting your hands dirty. How are you serving other people? Now, it could be outside the church, it could be inside the church, but to give you some examples inside the church, I asked our staff recently to tell me where they have serving needs right now. So let me just give you the, the list so you can have an understanding of where there are opportunities to get involved. In technical ministries, we need someone to serve by advancing our slides for the services. We need someone who can control a video camera. We would love to find some people who can choose which cameras are live during the service. That's an important job, especially with us often having more people watching online than actually in the building. In communications, we could use more photographers. And if anyone is good at video production or editing, that would be really helpful too. In student ministries, we could use some junior high group leaders because the ministry has grown to the point where some small groups have like 12 to 18 students and we need to divide those for a better experience for them and, and better discipleship. In Kid Connection, 
We need people who will help kids with special needs as a buddy, especially during the first service. We could really use more nursery and preschool volunteers. These are not hard things to do, but they make such a difference in families being able to come to First Free. We could also use more volunteers in Awana on Wednesday nights, and we could use some teachers on Sunday mornings. We could use some help to get families checked in in the Kid Connection lobby on Sunday mornings. Our safety and security ministry needs volunteers to help monitor cameras and keep everyone safe in the building. Our facilities ministry has tons of projects that people can help with inside and outside. Connections is looking for more greeters, ushers, and coffee servers. Worship would love more instrumentalists of all kinds. And those are some volunteer opportunities, but there are some paid staff needs too. Some people choose to work at a church, even though they can make more in the marketplace because it's a way they can serve God and still provide some income for their family. We need some people who are willing to watch kids during ministry events as paid childcare staff. We're looking for someone to join our technical productions team full-time to work with videos and audio and lighting. We really need a part-time staff member to oversee our nursery and another one for preschool and another one for early elementary ages. We have an amazing team in Kid Connection. And we just added a new staff member this week. So we're super excited about that. But we still have some needs there for paid staff who will choose to serve in that way. But it's also a paid position. And by the way, if you want to know more about any of these, whether it's the volunteer opportunities or the staff opportunities, just email pastor at efree.org and I'll point you in the right direction. My point is that there are dozens of ways for you to serve in the church. Some volunteer, some paid, and all are really important to the mission God has given us. So don't just give find ways to serve too, either inside of the church or, or anywhere you can. Could be an outside ministry. It doesn't have to be at first free. But Paul says, I want you to be do good with your money. And I also want you to be rich in good works. You need to serve people personally as well. And I know many of you do this. Some of you do this in set roles. Some of you do this by donating time or equipment to help with everything from landscaping to painting to video production to signage around the church. I mean, there are lots of ways people in this church have done good with their money and served in amazing ways and continue to do that. We'd love to see everyone in our church be a part of that team. Number three, Paul says we need to be generous to other people who have less. Generous to those in need, he says. Now, this is not just using money to do good. This is actually giving money or resources to someone else so they can decide what to do with it. I've seen this happen a lot in our church. Someone has extra of something or an item they don't really need anymore. So instead of selling it, they look for someone in the church they can give it to. Or when they find out someone is facing a hard time. It's not unusual for other Christians in the church to give them money, gift cards, buy groceries for them, take them meals, all sorts of things like that to be generous. We also have a great benevolence ministry here that gives away tens of thousands of dollars a year to help people in need. So we do this collectively as a church and as individuals, we do this as well. So that's three things that wealthy people are supposed to do. And remember, probably all of us qualify as wealthy. Here's the fourth. Develop a heart and an attitude of generosity. Well, Paul says at the end of this verse here in, in verse 18, may sound redundant, but it's actually a very important point. He says, always be ready to share with others. You might think, wasn't that the same as generosity? Um, But here's the thing. We could do all of this with the wrong motivation. We could give money only because we want God to bless us. We could help others because we think then God is going to do something for us. We could be generous because then we're going to make sure people know about it. But what Paul is talking about at the end here 
is a constant willingness to be generous. Not seeking out something that will benefit us, but having a heart and an attitude of sharing with others. Always willing to share. So let's just review what we've learned so far. God is a God of joy. God provides us with what we need so that we can enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with having more resources or less resources. What matters is what you do with them. If you have resources to spare, you should do four things. Do good with your money. Don't just give, serve in other ways too. Be generous to other people who have less and develop a heart and an attitude of generosity so that it's done with the right motivation. Now here's the conclusion to the money talk in 1 Timothy 6. Paul says in verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. It seems like the world's definition of a good life is often dependent on having lots of money, but that's not where real joy comes from. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have true life, eternal life that God gives you. We've talked about that recently, and you'll experience the fullness of that one day when you are with God in heaven. Until then, you can actually store up treasure that matters, that lasts, by using whatever resources and time you have on this earth to bless and benefit others. That's the conclusion of the money talk in 1 Timothy. And then then Paul gives us one last thing. There's one last note here that almost just seems tacked on to the end, but it's important. Basically what he's saying is don't get distracted by things that don't really matter. Here, Here it is in verse 20. He says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. So everything that I've taught you, all of the things that God has taught you, I want you to hold on to that and don't let that slip away. And then he says, avoid godless Foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. There are so many things pulling on your attention to get you focused on the cares of this world instead of being God's hands and feet on earth. You are the method that God chose to bless this world. He's given you talents and abilities and resources so that you can do that. He calls you in 1 Peter 4, a steward of his grace in this world. Did you know that? You are a steward of God's grace. So taking verse 20 into account, don't get distracted. Be generous, be a blessing. Always ready to share and serve. Guard what you've been taught by God, what God has entrusted you with. Hold tightly to that, to that faith to your hope in eternity, the eternal life that you have now and will enjoy fully in the future and develop that heart and attitude of generosity and service toward other people, knowing that God wants you to enjoy life and be a blessing to other people. Let me pray for you now and then we'll sing one more song. Father, sometimes I forget that this life is not just supposed to be all pain and sorrow. This week obviously has been a difficult one for me in particular. And the fact that I'm preaching on joy and enjoyment is is just so incredibly ironic. But even in the midst of all this, you have given great joy. And thank you for that. And what a reminder it's been just for me to know that regardless of what's going on in life, you want us to be able to have joy. And there will be seasons we know. There are people in our church right now that are struggling in some really significant ways, Lord. There's some, there's some really difficult 
diagnoses that have been delivered, there's there's some very challenging situations medically and in relationships and marriages. And I know that it probably seems for those people like it's so hard to have joy right now. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them. Help them to see all of the good that you have done for them and blessed them with, despite the challenges that they have. Just as Solomon said, there are, there's work that you give us to do and, and our life is, is brief, but you've given it to us. So helpful, help, help us, Lord, to be thankful for what you have given us. Help those of us who have more than we need to have a heart of generosity for other people, Lord, to be giving. Um, and not just giving financially, but giving of our time to be serving as well, Lord. Help us not to be those kinds of people that just want to write a check or, or send some money and say, well, that's it. I've, I've done what I need to do. But help us to go all the way, Lord, in this faith that we have. As Paul teaches us to not just be about doing good with money and giving to people, though we should do that, but to also be serving other people and serving you. God, I pray for our church. I pray that you would fill all the open service opportunities that we have, both paid and unpaid. I pray for all of our ministry partners, the, the ones that are doing great work around the city and around the world. God, that you would provide them with the resources and the people that they need. That this church at First Free would be known around the community and around the world as a church that is generous, both in their financial resources and with their time, and that we would represent you well in that, and that you would then in turn help us to enjoy even more this life that you've given us and, and all of the blessings that you've given us, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.